This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is The Property Show and I'm Mark Tan. According to the Ministry of Local Government Development, or commonly known as KPKT, a sick housing project is one that has been delayed by more than 30% of its scheduled process or where the sale and purchase agreement, SPA, has lapsed. And based on the latest statistics provided by KPKT, we have almost 600 sick and abandoned projects, including low-medium cost projects in the country. The Deputy Minister, Ahmad Nasrullah Mohammad Nasir, is looking into the matter and task forces are being set up to revitalise all these projects. Beyond the task forces, KPKT also set up a panel of experts to advise the ministers on matters related to housing, including the abandoned housing projects problem. One of our guests today sits on that panel and he represents the Malaysian Association of Abandoned Building Owners, or known as Victims Malaysia. It was formed in 2008 and we have their chairman today, Dr. Mohammad Rafiq Khan bin Abdul Rahman. Good morning, Dr. Rafiq. Now, Deputy Minister Akmal Nasrullah Mohammad Nasir reported that the Local Government Development Ministry, KPKT, has identified 481 sick projects and 112 abandoned projects across the country. So why are there so many troubled projects that need to be revitalised? Well, Mark, you know, um, the root cause of the problem is basically weak regulation. And of course, uh, the regulation is not designed to be preventive in nature. And uh, the ability for developers to adjust themselves to the economy economy environment is also a factor, right? And the law is not adequate enough for the authorities to take action against uh, such developers, you know, who cause problems and all that. Mm. I must say this, never before I have seen a a law that's created by a regulator that ties itself down. You know, this Housing Development Act is one such regulation. Purchasers have limited avenues and... For them to go for legal avenues is very costly and they don't go that way. And because of that, you know, the number of victims is very, very high. I also understand that 20% of the sick and abandoned projects are developed by unlicensed developers. How can there be a situation where unlicensed developers are constructing homes and selling it to unsuspecting buyers? Well, uh, you know, any Tom, Dick and Harry can set up a company and do development. Whether they apply license or not, nobody knows, right? And even though the law says they have to apply for license. Correct, because you need a building permit and an APDL before you start selling properties, uh, don't you? You see, um, as I said, what they do is that these rogue developers, they choose to have a building permits and all that from the local authorities. They go into construction and they don't apply for license, they just start selling. KPKT or Jabatan Perumahan Negara would not know about it until somebody complained, right? We are talking about a big nation here, you know. So from Perlis to Johor Bahru, you know, you've got so many people developing something, right? It's hard for JPN to monitor everything. They have to depend on what public tells them. That's why you see a lot of unlicensed developers. So what are the usual issues to consider in reviving problematic projects and what would be the optimal approach in resolving these sick and abandoned homes? By the time a project goes into a problematic phase and also abandoned phase, the project is already entangled with so many things. Number one, he's got an SPA with purchasers. Number two, there's purchasers has got loans with the banks. On top of that, bank has got bridging financing, right? So there are many things that contribute. Uh, that, that it's, uh, many, many stakeholders are controlling the thing and everybody wants their share and the smallest guy inside this whole equation is the purchasers. They have very little say, right? 
So, having said that, because everybody is pulling their own weight, you know, the thing is difficult to move forward. Rafik, those are good points. So can a liquidator help move things forward in the role they play? And does it have enough teeth to perform this role? Liquidator, as you know, uh, primary role of liquidator is defined in the Companies Act. They are not developers. Liquidator's view is very simple. They go in into any companies, whether you're uh, into property development or non-property development. If you can make money, if they can make money, they will go in. If they cannot make money, they don't want to go in. All right? So we also have seen uh, many liquidators who actually uh, goes in not to address the problem. See, the problem is the creditors. You've got to address the creditors, which is the banks and all that. Purchasers, by law, is not considered a creditor. It's probably the, uh, at the bottom of the food chain, you know, when it comes to addressing these uh, liquidators, right? And the housing controller himself has very limited power to control the liquidator. They just go and tell everyone, hey, we are appointed by court, so you cannot touch us. We do whatever we like. Under the provisions of the existing Housing Development Act 1966, there are fines of up to 500,000 and jail terms of up to three years that errant developers who abandon their projects can be charged with. Are you aware of any actions the authorities have taken? Not that what we know of. None None at all, since 1966. So do we have a problem of the law or do we have a problem of enforcement? Because if I look at the existing penalties, it is quite substantial. So do we actually need proposals for stricter penalties or tighter regulations to KPKT for the consideration? We have very weak laws. Our laws ties our own regulator down. For them to take action, they have got to go through many processes and procedures. They cannot act instantly, right? And they have to get approval, many layers outside, uh, up to the minister, for example, right? So that is number one. Number two, when you talk about enforcement, how many people are there in the enforcement division of the Ministry of Housing? There are very few people. And there are projects from Perlis, right, to Johor you know, they just cannot cope. We have to accept that. That is why I say that the law has to be preventive in nature, not looking uh, to find people, uh, not looking to find developers only. That law must change. When projects are abandoned, are the directors or companies of these projects blacklisted? I understand that Jabatan Perumahan Negara, JPN, has a developer blacklist on the KPKT website. The listing that they have in the website is meant to inform the public how many people check the website, right? So that's also an issue. Right. Internally, of course, when the when the JPN issue license, they will check with their own database. That happens, right? But then they always set up a new touring company, right? So it's not difficult for them and put new directors on board and all that. I suppose the other way is if you were to charge someone with a five hundred thousand ringgit fine, and the person cannot pay the five hundred thousand ringgit fine, they'll be bankrupt. Right. And definitely, for sure, a bankrupt person cannot set up another company. What you say is true, but on ground, what we have seen, for example, companies appoint security guards as their directors just to get away with it, you know? So that is happening, right? And we have seen many security guards, their office staff, they pay 2,000 ringgit a month to them, ask them to see on the board, you know, and they say, don't worry, we'll manage everything for you. They just sign some papers, that's it. Now, in order to obtain a developer's license, every developer has to put a 3% deposit and they can start building. Whereas, as a buyer, I have to put in a 10% down payment. So there appears to be an inequitable gap here, which seems to favour developers over buyers. Well, there is a gap, I agree with you. Under Section 6.1 of the Housing Development Act, 
the developer is required to put a 3% deposit. Why is that 3%? In the event of abandonment or problematic projects, they can use that money. Right? They can use that money to help to revive the project. But here, this is the problem. The 3% is not calculated based on gross development value. Right? Here, many developers, many developers are creative when they determine what is the construction cost. They're very creative there. Right? So they under-declared their uh, construction cost value. So the 3% has become very small. Now, when with the 3% deposit uh, that sits with the uh, housing controller, right? when the project goes into problem, there is no mechanism in the law to allow the controller to take over that 3%. You know what I mean? Because that deposit still belongs to the developer. It's a deposit. The law did not say if you go into abandonment automatically, your 3% goes to the controller. It becomes a contribution, for example. And then you have got 100 projects. Here you got 1 million, there got 1 million. 1 million, not enough to even kickstart, uh, you know, to hire consultants and all that to, to, to kickstart an abandoned project, right? You can't even pool that money across different developers. You can't. Because the law is so rigid, it's not designed to be uh, not designed to be flexible, right? Uh, for the regulators, everything the law is as I said, like you know earlier, I've never seen a law where the regulators are tied down so much, you know, from doing anything, right? So Rafi, let's say today I am a developer. I have put in my three percent deposit, calculated creatively against the construction cost of the housing development. And unfortunately, my project is abandoned. What typically happens moving forward between the housing controller and myself? It's supposed to stay in the housing development account. It's supposed to stay. But what happens is that, you know, developers who come and appeal to JPN and controller say, hey, I'm facing liquidity crunch. You know, you are holding $3 million of my money. I need that $3 million to continue. Otherwise, the problem, the purchasers will suffer, right? So, controller looks at it, study the whole matter and says, yeah, there are bases for it. They start releasing. When they release, the developers survive for another two months and then they stopped. On the property show this morning is Dr. Mohamed Rafiq Khan bin Abdul Rahman from Victims Malaysia. When we come back from the break, we look at proposals to amend the Housing Development Act and the build and sell system. This is BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the property show where we have Dr. Mohamed Rafiq Khan from Victims Malaysia. Before the break, we look at the definition of the issues surrounding abandoned homes and the government's efforts to address the problem. Now, Victims Malaysia has helped revive over 2,000 units of houses and is currently engaging the government on reviewing the Housing Development Act. Is there a need to review and amend the Act? And if given the opportunity, can you give a broad outline of your proposal and recommendations to the government? Firstly, I must say there is an urgent need to review the law. Yeah. Uh, this is based on the fact that, you know, the present law, despite the present law, the so-called a good law, right, we have about 40 billion worth of properties stuck in the limbo, right? Either sick, uh, abandoned, you know, so 40 billion worth. And this involves 135,000 houses. It's not a small problem. So quite clearly, the present law is, is weak and has failed. We have to change the law, right? So, outside there, I must say, we don't deny there are many good developers, responsible developers. We are not worried about this. The, our concern about the law are the small fish that will take advantage, advantage of the situation 
and uh, create problems for not only the purchasers but also for the government. Right? Broadly, I think uh, we should the law should focus on prevention because we have seen enforcement doesn't work. There has no been no enforcement action. So we have to change the law, develop a law that focuses on prevention and reduce and risk management, reduce the risk of abandoned housing, right? So how do we do this? How do we do this? First, by controlling the license. We don't give to any license, to any Tom, Dick and Harry and come and say, I have got 250,000 ringgit. This is my check. This is my director's name. You check, they're okay. I will give you a license. That's not the way. JPN must check and make sure they have a good, strong financial liquidity, yeah? financial capacity and technical capabilities to build the house. They must have financial capacity to sustain the project in event of problems, right? economic problems whatsoever. Right? And we must also have avenues in the contract for both the developers and the buyers to exit in case of, for example, during the COVID time. It's unpredicted. unpredictable. It suddenly happened. Material went up. There are no workers. Developers cannot deliver. Right? So there must be an exit clause somewhere, but that is not there in the current contract. Should the industry set up an insurance fund to protect home buyers? Well, uh, Mark, coming from a financial background myself, we understand how PDM, PIDM operates. Right? <clears throat> But here in, in, in the housing industry, several years ago, many years ago, uh, Rehda actually proposed the setting up of an insurance fund like the Korean model. Right? And that was evaluated thoroughly. And insurance companies uh, was consulted. And there was strong objection, both by victims and also by HBA at that time. Yeah, and so many parties. Because it doesn't work. right? Because... Having a fund alone is not enough. You need to change many laws to f- be like Korea. Right? We are not Korea. We have a different set of laws here. Right? So uh, what will happen if you have such a fund here is that developers will, who unscrupulous developers, when they see they don't have profit at the end of the project, they will walk out in the middle of the project. So leave everybody in, in the lurch, right? So, very high anti-selection risk. And because of that, insurance company doesn't want to support such an insurance scheme. Right? However, we have explored, and insurance company seems to be interested, where we develop a kind of a group insurance scheme for house buyers, where they pay a very small token sum, like 100 ringgit or 200 ringgit. And based on that benefit, in case there is a problem with the developer, they can use a service of legal panels to initiate legal action against a developer for a nominal sum because they already buy the insurance, right? It is no different from your motor car insurance. You know, you go into accident, you send it to the panel workshop, right? So these lawyers are like the panels. Right? So this is a new idea that we are pushing. We have actually proposed it to the ministry and it's with them at the moment. To totally eradicate the risk of abandoned projects for house buyers, the industry can actually adopt a build-and-sell approach where developers can sell their projects once the stage of construction has reached, you know, let's say 80%. And, you know, at 80%, the risk of abandon is very, very small. Now, the government did explore this idea as far back as 2017, you know, six years ago. Why has this not taken off in Malaysia? What was proposed previously is not build-and-sell. Mm. It is called BTS 1090. 
right? Under BTS 1090 concept, the purchaser pay 10% of the property price. Let's assume the property price is 500,000. That's 50,000 ringgit. What happened to the balance of 450,000? 450,000 balance is paid upon vacant possession. That means when the house is ready, okay? But that is that looks nice on paper, right? What happened three years down the road? The developer failed to complete, so the purchaser still lose fifty thousand right? Right? And don't forget, don't forget, most purchasers would have taken bank loans, even though the drawdown has not been made at the end of the project. They already locked themselves in into loan agreement. So BTS is definitely uh, it is one of the solution to reduce, but it's not a foolproof solution. In that proposal back in 2017, so the worst case scenario of the buyer is they'll lose that 10% down payment deposit. Yeah. But they will not be liable to the bank for loan because the 90% disbursement has not taken place. Yes. Right. Uh, they are not liable because the loan has not been dispersed. Lah. Right. So and, and the bank will not disperse the loan until you know, <clears throat> vacant possession keys are handed over, which then obviously mitigates the entire abandoned risk uh, That's concern. Right. Right. That's right. If Malaysia continues with the sell-then-build system, then shouldn't only qualified developers with a proven track record and a good cash flow and balance sheet be allowed to sell on this concept? If you want to do sell-then-build, that means we are selling promises, right? When we are selling promises, we have to make sure that the developers are solid, okay? It is not only financially solid, but he has a strong technical and construction ability to manage projects, okay? So, um, to get a license... It is not a right. It's a privilege. And that license needs to be controlled. That is the major part of a major action that uh, the regulator can do to prevent abandoned housing. So they must control the license, right? But I understand their predicament. You know, in this country, everybody is connected, well connected. One door closes, then they go to the other door. You know, they knock the other door and try to get help. You know, that happens. And that put a lot of pressure to JPN, Okay. So, to do all this, there are many things that need to be corrected. I mean, JPN capacity also and capabilities also need to be enhanced. Uh, what we must do is that uh, we must accept that sell then build does not bring trust to the industry. It does not bring trust to the housing industry. Um, it exposes buyers to the unnecessary risk of abandoned housing. Right? This is what we don't want. We want a system that brings trust. But in in buying a house, the moment you sign the SPA, you start to worry, right? So that is the difference. You pay today for something that is not there. You're buying a promise. You're paying for a promise, right? So with all these enhanced regulations, wouldn't that indirectly also make the cost of the homes more expensive? And isn't that something we're trying to avoid? There are many uh, regulations that we can change without affecting cost, you know? There are many parts. Most of them are administrative, Right, So we just need to look at this and fine-tuning this. This is what we have been doing. We have been talking to uh, Jabatan Perumahan Negara and also Ministry of Housing, KPKT, and talking to the Deputy Minister and the Minister. We are, we are giving our views, you know, how it can be done. Right? And I think so far they have been very receptive. I must say, uh, I'm not trying to be political here, uh, the present Minister and Deputy Minister um, far more receptive than any other minister that I've been, been dealing with since 2008. Rafik, you are on the ministry's panel of experts and have spoken optimistically on the ministry's efforts to reform the HDA Act. But the economic outlook is not rosy, and despite the best promises and plans, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. What will you recommend if the problem gets worse? 
Let's say the problem has now ballooned up to 100 billion ringgit from the current 40 billion ringgit. So the only, I mean, we have looked at this because we have seen many projects and we have done uh, helping out uh, to help abandoned projects. Eh? I can tell you this. Lah. What Malaysia needs is a Dana Harta-like act, yeah, which is to break the web and goes after the developer and their beneficial owners and all the banks must take a haircut. You need such an act, a very powerful act. You can say it's a draconian act, but you have to do it, right? No choice. Any final words from you on property development? Personally, for me, I believe it is not about purchasers versus developers. Purchasers need developers, right? What we want is a housing environment and housing system that is, can be trusted so that people have no worries when they buy properties. Thank you very much. On the property show was Dr. Mohammed Rafiq Khan bin Abdul Rahman from Victus Malaysia. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.